All right, uh, welcome to the conversation. Today, uh, we're gonna solve a riddle that you guys have heard your whole lives. Why did the chicken cross the street? Well, it turns out it was to go to the national prayer breakfast. So we're gonna explain. And to help us explain, we're bringing in our own managing editor, Jonathan Larson, who's written a series of stories about the National Prayer Breakfast on tyt.com. Jonathan, welcome back. Hi, Jack. Hey, so we've got two chicken magnets here, magnates. We do, actually, yes, that's right. So there's Chick-fil-A, and then later there's another chicken dude involved in the story. We'll get to the second chicken dude in a little bit. But let's start with Chick-fil-A, how are they connected to this national prayer breakfast? Which if anybody's new to the topic, of course, is puts together Democrats and Republicans, the highest people in the land, including the president and Biden has gone, Pelosi's gone this year. And they pretend to be nonpartisan as Jonathan is exposed, they are anything but. But I'm curious how the chicken enters the equation. Right, so well, as as I think a lot of TYT viewers know by this point, we obtained documents from inside the family that reveal who attended national prayer breakfasts for, for a couple different years. One of the documents, actually two of them, but, but one most particularly also lists who invited the people. And so one of the people we were looking at was a guy named Tim Birchfield, who invited a lot of people from Tennessee and elsewhere. And it turns out that Tim Birchfield is a Chick-fil-A franchise owner operator in Johnson City, Tennessee. And we actually got in touch with Chick-fil-A and to their credit, they not only responded, they confirmed, yeah, Mr. Birchfield has been active with the National Prayer Breakfast for over 20 years. And he's been with Chick-fil-A since much longer than that as well. And of course, that this, this is of interest because it's sort of another data point in terms of the affiliations and the relationships that the National Prayer Breakfast have, which skew overwhelmingly evangelical, overwhelmingly Republican, overwhelmingly socially conservative, including opposition to reproductive rights, opposition to LGBTQ rights. So I think I was the last person left standing still doing the Chick-fil-A boycott. That started like seven, eight years ago when they came out as very anti-LGBT rights. Uh, and back then it was just LGBT. Uh, and uh, and then I, I think I finally gave in when I talked to other uh, human rights and gay rights organizers and they said, oh, we even dropped that. I said, okay, fine, and I think I had a sandwich. Do I have to go back to the uh, boycott here? So my, but in, in seriousness, the question is, is it possible that this guy's a left-wing evangelical Chick-fil-A owner? <laughs> And franchise operator, because they used to exist. Jimmy Carter's a left-wing evangelical. Uh, oh, or, sure, they still exist. Yeah. So what's this guy's yeah, story? Yeah, yeah. So this, I, I do kind of want to address the the boycott issue a little bit, which is it's funny because a lot of people got angry uh, online when we posted this about about Chick Fil A's involvement, and I kind of thought this story was the other way around that this was telling us something about the National Prayer Breakfast. This was revealing something about the National Prayer Breakfast in terms of yet another data point that's conservative, socially conservative, anti-LGBTQ, evangelical. To your point about Mr. Birchfield, 
Um, no, he is not. He is not a left-leaning evangelical. He has been active in uh, political campaigns for Republicans. He was active with the um, gubernatorial campaign, Tennessee gubernatorial campaign of then Congressman Zach Womp, who, by the way, is not only a family insider, but is these days pretty much the guy running the National Prayer Breakfast, and of course is. Also, has been historically an opponent opponent of LGBTQ rights. And there was one interesting thing I want to bring out about Birchfield's comments in an interview that we found online, a local podcast that he did in in Tennessee. He talked about how after the infrastructure bill passed, which of course it has recently, he said immigration is going to be the next issue, and I'm going to be a part of that, suggesting even more directly than I just did paraphrasing it, suggesting that he was going to be playing some kind of role, at least on a state level, in immigration policy, which is unusual, I would hope, because he's not an elected official. He doesn't sit on any, he used to sit on a state labor board, but he doesn't have any public role that would give him the power to play a part in that process. But his comments about immigration were also, you know, sort of in line with what you would expect from a from a conservative Republican. And the other thing we know about him and his politics is that we we went and analyzed the campaign donation records of everyone that we had a record of him inviting. And overwhelming numbers, at least in terms of federal donations, overwhelming donations were to Republican candidates, including supporting anti-LGBTQ candidates as well as more recently supporting backers of the of the big lie you know the the lie that Biden stole the presidential election so Birchfield is not the sort of evangelical exception you were you were thinking about yeah so well that that's the thing right for the uninitiated this comes back to the national prayer breakfast being a front for right wing evangelical movement but having the democrats give it their stamp of approval maniacally uh, I would argue irrationally. Uh, well, I just said maniacally, so I, obviously I'm not a fan of it. Uh, so, uh, but you have the secret documents about who they're inviting, and that's where this comes from. And you're right, this is not a Chick fil A story, although, again, I do want to get back to the mysterious chicken connection here a little bit later. But, um, but, uh, but it's a story about, about this group. And so when you see that invite list, are we like by highlighting some of the right, prominent right wingers on there? Because Mike Lindell is another one of them. Ben Carson is, and this was in your uh, earlier reporting. Everybody can see all of those stories at tyt.com. Um, are, are we leaving out like fifty percent of the participants that are left wingers and in favor of LGBTQ rights and and or, and I don't mean the politicians attending. I mean the organizers, sure. the donors, the people that are right. inviting uh, people to this event. So it's it's very hard to do that definitively, exhaustively with a list that consists of 4,400 lines and then you know rows and then something like a dozen or 20 columns of of information. But the approach we've taken is one is we've we've sort of done like spot sampling. We've looked to see whether we could find individuals who who checked some of the boxes you've talked about. And we do that by you know, literally doing searches, control F's through the database that we have. And the other way we do it is sort of like by random check. Like for instance, if we look at a specific person who 
comes to our attention only because they invited a lot of people. Say there's nothing that, that sort of prejudices us towards what their politics are. It's just, oh, this person invited a lot. Who did they invite? And then we'll look. You know, if we, we talked about Ukraine, for instance. We did the same thing with Ukraine. We looked at everyone from Ukraine. No LGBTQ people there, only one or two that we could even identify who support LGBTQ rights. One of whom was the Democrat who an European advocacy group later said had been misled to attend to attend this. So the, the only advocates you can find, let alone actual people who are LGBTQ, tend to be the Democrats who get invited as part of this effort to show that it's Nonpartisan. So, John, I don't know that you have an answer for this because you're just revealing the information that exists. I'm more the opinion guy, but which, by the way, what my placard oh, I have says. <laughs> my placard <laughs> says the opinion guy. Right, Anyways, yeah. but it's nonetheless, I'll ask this. Will people will look at this and go, but Jonathan, to be fair, when you're looking at evangelicals and, and, the, and the Christian movement in this country, which is National Prayer Breakfast represents, you're gonna get a lot of anti-LGBTQ uh, folks there because that's what everybody believed until like seven years ago, they'll sure. say, right? And yeah. so uh, is that a fair critique uh, of, of what we're exposing here? I think it's a fair point. The problem is that that doesn't take into account what the, the congressional allies of the family tell us that this event is, right? In other words, yeah, of course, if you said, oh, there's a group and they're all evangelicals and they're going to have a convention every year or a conference, of course, it's going to look like that. But that's not what we're told this event is. What we're told this event is, is an event that is inclusive, that is encompassing not just different stripes of Christianity, but non-Christians as well. And it brings them together for reconciliation. The problem is we've not been able to find people on the other side. Now, now typically the argument about reconciliation has come up when people have pointed out, hey, it, it seems that you've invited this bloodthirsty dictator to come to your breakfast. And they'll say, you know, who needs prayer more than the worst sinners among us? The point is to use the, the values and the principles that Jesus stood for, stands for in some people's minds, I guess, uh, to reconcile, right? To bring those people, those bloodthirsty dictators over to the forces of good. But when we looked for you know, uh, people who disagree with them politically, uh, advocates for abortion rights, reproductive rights, actual LGBTQ people, they are very, very far and, and uh, few and far between. So right. you can't say this is an event for reconciliation if you're not bringing the people with whom you should be seeking to reconcile. In fact, of course, what it winds up being as the reporting shows is using democratic politicians as props to legitimize the anti-LGBTQ. And by the way, other obnoxious right wing points of view and spread that all across the world. So that's not reconciliation, that's just using one side as useful fill in the blank 
to spread your hateful propaganda. And if they're not doing hateful propaganda, then they should be clear about it. Okay, but before we run out of time, I don't want to tease the audience and not deliver. So there's a chicken obsession apparently at the family. <laughs> so you showed in some of the new exclusive reporting you had that currently the number one donor and almost the only donor left is Franklin Graham, who is an avowed right winger, massive Trump fan, etc. For the for the breakfast, but historically, Ron Cameron has been the largest donor. So who's Ron Cameron? He's been the largest donor to the Fellowship Foundation, as opposed to specifically to the breakfast. So okay. he's not been a right, but but yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. no, it's important clarification. So who's Ron Cameron? So Ron Cameron is your second chicken guy. He is the head of. Mount Air Farms or Mount Air Poultry, which is a, a massive poultry farming and, and producer in this country. Big enough that the, that the guy's a billionaire, he's a GOP mega donor. He was at the White House with Trump watching the 2018 midterm election returns come in. Um, so, and, and you know, he's, that's, that's his business, he's a, he's a chicken guy. And to your point about, about the, the family's ideological leanings, um, some of our reporting, as well as others, the New Yorker and, and others did this as well. The family's ideological leanings sort of arose back in the 40s and 50s out of uh, opposition to organized labor and, and a backlash against FDR. Cameron's company has been involved in or at least accused of union busting. There was a big case that we reported on that went to the NLRB. All, the, all these kinds of things. So yeah, those, there are aspects beyond just sort of that that silo of, of uh, social issues. Right, and I also want to be clear about our reporting too. The chickens uh, would not cross the road to get to the National Prior Breakfast because <laughs> it is funded by chicken butchers. They would cross <laughs> the road to get away from the National Prior Breakfast. Okay. Unless uh, they were on the menu, in which case they'd have no choice. Yes, well, that seems yeah. to be the case in a lot of ways. Uh, all right, we're way out of time, but I, I do want to just say the reason I brought up the chicken stuff is it's it's fun, but it goes to show you the connection and the intersection between the right wing evangelical movement for political reasons and business interests as well. So you know you get the Democratic politicians in, and then you hit them with the right wing propaganda and the business propaganda. It's a twofer. Uh, you could actually make a sandwich out of it. And apparently we know what would go inside that sandwich. Yeah. All right, yeah. uh, Jonathan Larson, Managing Editor for TYT. Thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. All right, back on the conversation. Uh, now we've got a Democrat uh, running against another Democrat. And so that should be interesting, um, who should win and why? Well, let's talk it through. Mike Ortega is a candidate for US Congress in California's 46th district. He's a biomedical engineer and he's running against current Democratic incumbent, Lou Correa. Uh, so Mike, welcome. Hey, how are you doing today, Jack? Good, good, good. So um, now we're gonna get to you. Uh, you have an interesting uh, background and uh, aeronautical engineering degree from University of Southern California. Uh, the engineering degree, good, USC, eh, take it or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I didn't even go to UCLA. Uh, but, uh, but first, since there's a Democratic incumbent, it obviously gets to the question of, hey, what's wrong with Luke Korea? Why do you have to run against him? No, absolutely, and that's a great question. And I think this season, as we've been fighting for uh, some real gains for working families, middle class families, and the Build Back Better Act, the Reconciliation Act, we've seen the damage that 
corporate Democrats can do to this kind of legislation. Uh, we've seen them try to gut the provisions that would expand Medicare. We've seen them try to gut the ability of Medicare to negotiate prices. We've seen them try to remove uh, or, or, or feign that they're not in, uh, in support of raising the minimum wage. Uh, corporate Democrats are doing more damage to the cause of working families and middle class families than a lot of Republicans, because we know where the Republicans stand. Uh, but as corporate Democrats, people like Lou Correa, uh, who take big money from big oil and big pharma, uh, who, who are really uh, giving us the worst. And we saw it on a big stage, right, with Manchin and Cinema. Um, but on a much smaller stage, you see this happen in committees with, with people like Lou Correa who go to bat for big money to interest and, and uh, really betray their base. So in the case of Correo though, uh, when he takes money from uh, pharmaceutical companies or oil companies, I assume that they're doing that for the general welfare uh, because they just wanna help your district so much. Are you saying that it, they, it's because they want more benefits for oil companies and drug companies? Is that your outrageous claim here? Absolutely outrageous, absolutely outrageous claim that I have. Uh, one of the most popular uh, elements that was being proposed within the Build Back Better Act was the ability of Medicare to just negotiate on drug prices. And uh, Lou Correa was one of the people taking the big pharma money uh, from some of those dark money packs and advocating against a very popular measure, right? Within my district, very popular measure, the ability of government to negotiate on our behalf. And it's a very well known fact that that the drug prices in the United States are gouging middle class families, working class families. Um, so I but, know, but Mike, talk to me. Sorry, so that's clear. There's no question about that. But do we have evidence that Correa was part of the group that wanted to fight that provision? So it didn't make it to his committee, but before they got to gut it, right? So by the time it got. Uh, out onto the floor, out of uh, the first committee, I believe it had already had a few swords taken to it. Um, but if you look at, if you follow the money, that's usually where you find out where the influence is going, right? So Lou's number one donor is Big Pharma. And then number two, the group of congressmen and women who were uh, going to bat for the pharma companies. If you follow the money through this pack called Center Forward, you'll see he's on that list of people that they've begun spending money to try to support with these, you know, deceptive ad campaigns, uh, trying to say that they're saving jobs uh, when really what they're doing is they're representing the interests of, of big pharma. Yeah. So now I know that the press loves it when there's a challenger to a progressive who's the leading Democrat in the race, uh, Nina Turner, India Walton. You fill in the blank, right? Ed Markey, uh, and everybody will come out of the woodwork to support a corporate Democrat doing an a race against them, a primary against them. In in the case of California, it's top two go to the general election. So there's absolutely no harm in a primary. But since Correa is in the Blue Dog Coalition, the New Democrat Coalition, and the Problem Solvers Caucus, those are all conservative Democratic caucuses and coalitions. That means the press is very likely on his side. Now that's my theory, but I don't know your district, so how has your race and your challenge to him been received by the press in both nationally, if any, have reacted nationally and locally? So there's no national press yet. Look, if they can, they avoid covering any progressive challengers unless they become a real threat. Much of the local press is in support of Lou Correa 
I believe the local paper, Orange County Register, endorsed him in the last election. Uh, he's widely a favorite because he's seen as like uh, the old school middle of the path. But that's what he is. He's an old school right wing Democrat who really should be a Republican on paper, but keeps the D next to his name so that he could keep running in this district and keep getting the endorsements. But um, if you follow him down the line on most policies, the Green New Deal, Medicare for all, he doesn't stand for them, right? Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah. So, but all right. So in terms of the press, until we make a real threat, they're not going to give us any time. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Like, it doesn't make sense, but I get it. I, I've seen it. Trust me. Um, so, but you're on here. So, Mike, um, there's two different ways. Uh, that you could be different than the incumbent. One is policy. You've hinted at that here, and and you know you're not taking corporate PAC money. I know that, uh, and it sounds like you're for Medicare for all, Green New Deal. Um, another way is through how you react to Democratic leadership. Now I know that it puts you in a difficult situation because uh, if you say that you won't slavishly follow anything that Nancy Pelosi says, California uh, reporters and press will turn on you viciously and they will say, how dare you? She is the queen and you must follow all her orders. But our audience here thinks there's absolutely no point in supporting you if you're gonna go support everything Nancy Pelosi tells you. So that puts you in a tough spot. So are you gonna listen to Nancy Pelosi <laughs> when you get there? I mean, look, Mike, it's easy to laugh, but we've had dozens of people in your position who said they wouldn't and then they did. Just a few things. Uh, look, I grew up as a fighter, all right? That's, that's one of the things. I grew up on uh, tough streets, um, l largely Puerto Rican community. Uh, I've, I've built my own bones off the uh, sweat on my back, you know? Uh, very humble upbringings, mother from Puerto Rico, father from Ecuador. Uh, I don't like taking orders from anybody. And a part of what we're fighting for is to build the necessary coalition and base so it doesn't matter what anyone in the Democratic leadership has to say, but that we have to take the unpopular stances. And what we're putting forward is a candidacy and a candidate who is brave and has the courage to take them on. That includes taking some unpopular votes, that includes not playing ball sometimes. So I think you know recently we saw a pretty good vote where, where I think the squad voted down uh, the infrastructure bill because that wasn't joined with uh, the Build Back Better. There's a lot of criticisms that be given there, but uh, our plan is to go in and uh, really sh shake things up. So, would you? How would you have voted on that bill? Would you have voted with the squad or or no? Yeah, I would have voted no on it. Uh, there's a number of reasons why I would have, but exactly the same politically as as they did, which is uh, right now they lost so much leverage right heading into it. So right now I know that they just passed the Build Back Better Act, but you need to be able to put your money where your mouth is, right? Republicans do this all the time, right? They demand all kinds of allegiances and votes and they're very top down. Those guys vote rank and file like military. But it's always the Democrats who are supposed to be the nice guys who always compromise. And right now, if you look at the polls, Progressive policies are popular, so why wouldn't you be fighting for it? Why wouldn't you be trying to expose corporate Democrats who are secretly trying to water down bills that would really have a meaningful impact to the families of working people? And that's what we plan to do. We plan to be confrontational. We plan to have a good time while we're doing it, and hopefully rustle some feathers.
So Mike, there's a reason why they wouldn't do it. And just to, of course, to clarify, the Build Back Better bill passed the House, which of course means nothing. Passed the House, it, that's yeah, right. Yeah, it, it hasn't passed the Senate. And the, and the just Democrats there said the whole point was to wait for it to pass the Senate, right? Otherwise, you lose leverage and you're right. They've lost all leverage and Manchin is laughing and laughing and shredding it as, as we speak if he passes anything at all. Um, but but the reason why folks don't get confrontational when they get into Washington is because the minute you win, you're a congressperson, and they basically tell you you made it, Mike. Okay, and so now you're going to upset everybody. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, the leadership is really smart. Pelosi's a master legislator. Here she's telling you she's going to pass the Senate. So Mike, why are you causing trouble? And this is really bad. We're going to have to tell the corporate media you're a bad person, Mike. <laughs> And then I'll accept it and that'll be totally fine. Because too long we've seen Democrats compromise, make careers out of their positions. And that's not at all what I'm interested in doing, okay? Uh, I have a background working, uh, doing labor organizing. I was a member of uh, Unite, United Food and Commercial Workers working on production lines. Uh, I've worked in production lines and garment factories as well. Um, and my experience tells me, look, we need to fight because today the working class in the United States, the middle class in the United States are getting a real raw end of the deal. Meanwhile, you have billionaires competing to go into space. And so we don't have the, um, we don't have the time, we don't have the luxury to be polite. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm not on board with trying to play, uh, uh, play nice or patty cake with anybody that's in the DNC. And I don't plan on playing patty cake with the, um, the incumbent who's here right now. All right, by the way, the website's OrtegaForCongress.com, OrtegaForCongress.com. And you can, again, no corporate PAC money. So there are no oil companies, no drug companies that help his so-called Democratic opponent. So that's your links to donate and volunteer. We'll have the links down below if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook. And Mike, one more thing. So in your district, what are... A couple of your positions that are the most important so people have a sense of what you're going to fight for. Absolutely. So we are fighting for overwhelmingly popular platform elements, right? So Medicare for all is at the top. In 2020, Bernie Sanders won around half of the votes during the Democratic primary, more than the next five candidates combined. These are policies that are popular in this district. Second is a Green New Deal. The question of whether or not we're investing in green energy and providing clean air and clean water for our children to have, it was important to the people that are here. And lastly, it's legalization now for undocumented workers. Undocumented workers make up a large backbone of the labor force, not just in California, but across the country. And they're an entire segment of the working class who pay taxes, who live here, who are part of the economy who are marginalized and disenfranchised. And today we need legislators who are gonna fight to actually give a pathway to citizenship for DACA students. We're gonna need pathway to citizenship for workers who have been here living, raising their families and bring them into the fold so that they're not afraid to report on their employer who's violating labor laws, so that they're not afraid to organize unions and actually be able to bring them into the labor movement in the United States. Uh, these are some of the big policy issues that are here. It's overwhelmingly an immigrant community, um, around 70% Latino. 
and they deserve somebody who represents their interests and their politics. Uh, but Mike, you know, we're out of time here. But if we keep them illegal, uh, that way they can drive down wages. What are you doing here? Corporate America is not going to be happy with you at all if you, you know, give them a pathway to citizenship and you unionize them. They'll have higher wages and they'll drive up the wages of every other American. Well, then you're not going to exactly get any corporate plans, donors right? that way, Mike. What's the matter with you? <laughs> That's exactly the thing, right? That's exactly the strategy. They're trying to divide working class between illegal and legal. But the reality is they don't want to deport everyone who's undocumented. I mean, tomatoes would rot on the vine. So the reality that we know is that they need the exploited labor to try to make us all work for less. And the way we beat that back is by accepting and bringing in our brothers and sisters who come from across the borders and give them a pathway to become citizens. Last thing I'll just tell the audience, just because we came up on the issue. Guys, it isn't about people taking your jobs. It's about wages for everyone, okay? Because right now, what's the number one thing they're complaining about on cable news? A labor shortage. So if undocumented immigrants were taking your job, then we wouldn't have a labor shortage, right? That's just a fact. And so it isn't about that. It's that they wanna keep them in this limbo state. In purgatory, if you will, because that way they can pay them lower wages and pay you lower wages because it doesn't create upward pressure on wages if you pay them a livable wage. So that's why Mike Ortega's fighting on that issue, among others. It's good to see a strong progressive in that race. And by the way, guys, in case you need to know, the 46th district is solidly Democratic. So there's no reason why a conservative Democrat filled his coffers filled with corporate money should have that safe Democratic seat. OrtegaForCongress.com is the website. Mike, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jenkins. This was great. No problem.